the beauty of that story. Other people's perception of you ain't none of your business. I wonder if this is what normal people feel like. Well, like Eleanor Roosevelt said, well-behaved women rarely make history. And nothing says mental health um, cast live like saying, starting with, I drank a whole bottle of wine. He blew it. He was tweeting or something, and he completely missed the cue. I did. You know what? (laughs) Stuff happens. It's been that kind of week, right? We've just been missing cues. Apparently, I don't understand cues. Oh, apparently. Yeah. I need to learn when people actually, like... Ooh, want to be your friend or not? I think it's apparently that's what I would do. Whatever, that's a whole other story. Why are we? Um. Anyway, I'm, I'm trying to get the wel- thing he keeps. I know. Welcome to another week of bipolar girl. We heard over heard in over seventy six countries worldwide. We are <laughs> back on regular schedule now. Yeah. Well, okay. So did we decide to go every other? Well. Right now, I have everybody scheduled for every. Oh, goodness. Okay, so we're still So we're going to have a busy November. We're still pumping out content, like yeah. the Play-Doh. Ugh, gross. <laughs> <clears throat> gross. Yeah, that is kind of gross. Um, so, um, how was your week? Um, we didn't have anything really... I stopped sleeping. That was the biggest thing this week, is my... Um, I stopped sleeping, and I take Trazodone for sleep. But it just, it wasn't working. And there was one night where I was just desperate for sleep. And so I have like an emergency case of like a low dose of Seroquel. So Stephen had me take that. And I ended up taking a Seroquel and a Trazodone. I don't recommend that to anybody. I was so messed up the next day. It was on accident though. We didn't know that I did that. I could have, I could have run you over with like a massage vibrator no what you know what i mean like the ones for the back i'm not to be inappropriate that like and you would have never known it like i could have massaged your back no you know and run that all over your body and you would have never ever known it because you were so out of it out of it but thank goodness you got rest and it it really is a testament to like honestly how sensitive your body is your existence is like I mean, it's almost as cosmic as the planets. One thing out of alignment and, you know, it's all she wrote. Oh, I know. And so so the doctor has said that the best thing to do is to go up in dose on the trazodone. So now I'm going to take two trazodones every night. So I think that's, I think that's 100 milligrams. I, I think that's 100 milligrams. Yeah, I believe that it's 100 milligrams. Um, as long as you, you know what, here's the thing, as long as you sleep, you know, I, I really don't care how it gets done these days because, you know, 
As long as you sleep. Yeah, because when I don't sleep is when my mood starts to shift. Yeah, and it's been it's been a tough two and a half, three years, but I think we've turned the corner. Well, it I is, hope so. I'm cer- certainly like, you know, you don't know commitment and family until you're caring for someone with mental illness. Mm-hmm. It's seriously, it is a commitment. Um, and it's, you know, it's one that I know because I know my wife wasn't herself. And it's interesting as a caregiver because you're like, man, you know what? Sometimes you feel like you're more of a caregiver than you are a partner or a lover. But you have to remember and keep this in perspective and saying that it's temporary. So for all of those caregivers out there who are listening right now, like just remember that if there are episodes, it's temporary. And you have to remember, like we always talk about Rebecca's journey. And I want to say it because it's like it's really it's on my heart right now to actually say it like you know, she wouldn't have graduated two schools, cum laude, the uh, commander's list from the military, graduated Ivy League, if she wasn't stable, right? Like, so even on those bad moments, even though it's been bad, we were treating medication issues, I mean, I'm sorry, medication reactions, just remember it's temporary. And I have to tell myself that too. And, um, and, and hopefully, like, this show is helping those who are giving care to individuals that are suffering with mental illness you know, as well. Um, you know, where do we go from here, honey? In terms of, like, what are you thinking? What What is your biggest fear about being on this medication? Because I know we've talked about it. Um, I think my biggest fear is just it not working, you know? Like, having to keep adjust and adjust and adjust and adjust. Right. Which it feels like we're constantly doing. Now. You know, it's funny you said a comment to me like earlier this week. You were like, oh, my God, I'm on so much medication. I was like, li- literally in the grand scheme of things, you are literally on five pills. It's not bad. It seems like a lot, though, because I take four pills of Lamictal alone. Well, maybe we could kind of condense those and consolidate them in a way. Yeah, because that's why it feels like a lot. Right. Well, our guest has joined us. I know, I know. Well, you know what? Let's see. Have we done ten minutes? Oh, we've 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 got we've, we've done it. Clo- close enough, right? Yeah. So play your little music. That's it. That's it. How are you today, Willa? I'm actually on. You are. You on. are on. Can you believe I it? I am so excited. <laughs> are you- <laughs> well, we are excited too. Excited? You got the technology to work, or excited to be on? Exactly. Well, first of all, that because I I have just come to think that part of the format of the school of this show is to wonder when the guest was going to join you. But I. <laughs> That's because we always have the, like, the guest has to, like, click a link and get in, and so we always just start with, how's your week? You know what? It sure seems that way, just because, like, the last couple times, you know, it's just been a thing since we've switched to Podbean. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know what it is, and, and, like, I certainly don't want to act uncouth or, you know, untrained and start using profane language over the technology, (laughs) but it's severely frustrating um, over the fact that sometimes, like, it just does not work. And, like, but I don't know if there is even a better interface. Probably not. They're probably all like this. Right. I don't I don't know, but I, I do know that that has been my one anxiety about this um, about this podcast since we first decided that I was going to be on it. And so now I'm cool. Now I'm cool. Now I'm fine. <laughs> 
Well, that is great. Well, Willa reached out to us. Um, she was so kind to give me a copy of her book, The Prozac Monologues. And she asked if she could be on the show to talk about her story and her book. And I thought it was a fabulous idea. So here we are with Willa. Yeah, thank you. So do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Sure, sure. Um, well, let's place me geographically first. Um, I grew up in Colorado, but I've lived on both coasts, went to Reed College in Portland, Oregon. I don't know if any of your readers, your listeners know about Reed College. Um, it's liberal arts um, and small. But anyway, then I moved east to New Haven, Connecticut for Divinity School at Yale. Um, so I was ordained an Episcopal priest in Minneapolis and then settled in Iowa for almost all of my ordained ministry. My wife and I moved to a little town in Central Oregon 10 years ago, so I'm happily back to the mountains. This time, um, the Cascades, I can see the three sisters which are out of my back door, which are just gorgeous right now, covered with snow. Um, both coasts, middle and mountains, geographically, I am a thorough person. You, you know what? It's interesting, Willa, that you, while you're introducing yourself, your life intersects both Rebecca and I <laughs> in such a big way. Yeah. Um, what, a, because Rebecca's from Colorado. We oh, have roots oh. in New England. I went to school in New England. You, We've both been on the West Coast. We've both been on the West Coast. I love Oregon. I love Portland. Um, well, there's just like our lives have crossed like a uh, like a shoestring. Yeah, we're in love. Uh, we're in Colorado. So um, I grew up in the Denver area, Inglewood more specifically, and I have a lot of family in Golden and, and Boulder. Okay, Loveland. Oh, very oh, yeah. nice. Oh. Very nice. Yeah. Oh, hold on. That's where the Loveland Pass is. That's where yeah. it gets really bad. Yeah. No, well, the pass is up in the mountains. Um, Loveland is about oh, no. 50, miles, 50 oh. miles north of Denver, uh, just up against the mountains. It's not quite as close as Boulder, but um, but Loveland yeah. is known for its skiing. Loveland skiing. That's where the locals go, right? Like why everyone goes. Some to, of them, the yeah. pretentious folks go to Vail and Aspen and Aspen, and like oh, the local was, folks go to Loveland, right? I was way too poor to to ski when I was a kid. Oh. <laughs> but um, anyway, back to the story. I've had depression off and on probably since I was four, alternating with periods when I was the wonder girl who could do anything, could get in and excel at Reed and at Yale, could make friends, influence people, blah, blah, blah. However, 2004, I'd been depressed for a couple of years and all that help self-help stuff and supplements just weren't cutting it. Mm -hmm. So my doc put me on Prozac. And boy, that started a journey. After a couple of months of insomnia, agitation, irritation, loss of concentration, some suicidal ideology, I flipped into hypomania. Wow. Yeah, that's that. They put me on Zoloft, and I went, I went manic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, that's how almost all of us are diagnosed because they give us something that um, nearly kills us. Yeah. So I went on vacation to Costa Rica, 
where my mother and, and sister own a hotel and a restaurant. And I spent the entire week writing a book. My wife, while my wife was at the beach, I wrote while she was exploring neighborhoods. I wrote while she was asleep. I wrote. I finished the last couple chapters after I got home and then started on this journey through hell of one antidepressant after another. So I got sicker and sicker and finally went on disability in 2009. Um, then I continued writing. I um, was a very public person in the church and going on disability made me feel invisible. So I started a blog called Prozac Monologues that reported on research in depression and was trying to figure out what the hell had happened to my brain. Through that research, I figured out I didn't have depression. I had bipolar. I was on the spectrum. So my life turned again once I got the correct diagnosis. I learned how to manage the thing, and eventually I rewrote that earlier book from Costa Rica. You know, in, in thinking about just, you know, you being, you know, in the ministry, and then all of us, and then all of a sudden your life is turned upside down. Did you lose your community? Did they turn their back on you? Or did you just feel that way? Was it, I mean, was it a reality or was it just your reality? Oh, I never felt like my community turned its back on me. Okay. Um, I got a lot of support. Um, there was a, um, during one of my depressive episodes, I think the first one, I was working in this little church and my senior warden, which is like the, the lay leader um, of the church, he was this former football player. He was a physical therapist. He was this just manly man um, who was uncomfortable when I first came to the church because, you know, he wasn't into the lesbian thing, but he figured he'd be at the church longer than me. And so on those terms. It, it, we, it, it's very interesting. You said not into the lesbian thing. Like that's right. A, right. Yeah. That's an interesting way to put it. So anyway, I called him up and I said, look, I've been on this depressive episode. I've been on these meds. I've been on three meds at this point. Nothing is working. And I'm going to take a sick leave of a month and then I'm gonna um and then I'm gonna take my vacation of a month. And um you can pay me or not, I don't care, that's what I'm gonna do. And he said, Well we absolutely will pay you. I'll take it to the vestry and if anybody disagrees with me, I'll just break their arm. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. Um, I was working for both the di uh, for um, for that church and for the bishop at that point, and he also was just totally supportive and could figure things out. Like like at Christmas time, he had a party for all the clergy in the diocese, and he kind of figured it'd be difficult for me. Um, and so he said, you know, I've um, I've got a room upstairs where you can go take a break if you need to. And then he gave me a job to take people's coats. So I 
I could say hi to them, interact with them, but, you know, two words, and then they were on into the party, and, and I didn't have to deal with them. Mm-hmm. They were just, you know, in a million ways, very, very supportive. That's, See, that's very good. The, yeah, the Episcopal Church believes in science, you know? So well, that well, was going to be my follow-up question is we have a lot of people on here who talk about faith and, and kind of how they sometimes lose their faith when they get the diagnosis because uh, it's looked at as, you know, they get told a lot that you're, you know, you need to pray and, and you're losing your, and you don't have enough faith. That's why you're sick and the medication yeah. won't save you and stuff like that. So that doesn't seem to have ever happened to you. Oh, no, not at all. Um, I, well, you know, I had my issues with God. Um, I, not with the church, not with the church, not with church people. Um, they understood that this is a medical problem and I understood that this was a medical problem, but still there was the thing of why me? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, you know, I, I, I never thought of God as as the vending machine. You know, you say your prayer and, and out pops out pops healing or peace or you know whatever it is you need a new car um, or an improved relationship with your spouse. That that wasn't my idea of God. But still, when I went on disability, it was just this huge whack to my self esteem. And it was like, what the what? I mean, you know, I, I mean, I knew this intellectually. I knew this was nonsense, but I thought, look, I've given my whole life to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why me? So that was tricky. Well, you know, I'm familiar with the Episcopal Church. That was the first church I grew up in. Was a, I was Episcopalian. Mm-hmm. I was a confirmed altar boy, too, by the way. I carried the cross, uh, which was huge. That's I, a big deal. It was a big deal. Well, come on. I was like 12. Like yeah. 11, 12, I think. 10. No, no, no. I was younger. I was like nine. You know, when I trained acolytes, there was there was this kid, and he desperately wanted to be an acolyte. And, and he said, well, when can I? When can I? When can I? And I said, when you can sit at the front of the church and sit still for an hour. <laughs> yeah, we used That's to get hard. in trouble. Yeah, well, we definitely would get in trouble. Like, we would, yeah. yes. That was a thing. It's that really was a thing. It's hard for little people to sit still like that. Oh, God. It was so, and those like, seats you know, were so hard. The Episcopal Church, however, has the advantage. They, I mean, they call it, you know, al- calisthenics because you're always either standing up, kneeling down, sitting. There is a lot of movement. That's mm, true. Um, and, and, in fact, his mother joined the Episcopal Church specifically because she wanted her kids to have structure, but she also knew they needed to move. Mm. Mm. So, um, for you know, for me, that's been one of the difficulties of church on Zoom is that I'm, I sit the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't know how Protestants do it. I just, I just don't. Well, it depends on the Protestant church because that was later what we became, and um, and in our in, in my day they would start shouting and clapping. Yeah, you and, guys have the shouting and clapping, which was and jumping. completely opposite than the Episcopal Church. I mean, it was it was wild. yeah, except for that element of it. No, you've got you don't have to sit while some 
guy drones on for 25 minutes. Well, yeah. That, well, there you go. Yeah, that's true. You know, <laughs> and and if there is a guy droning on for 25 minutes, still people are shouting. And <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's distracting. It is distracting. It can become distracting. <laughs> It's very funny. We were we're church shopping because we moved and we haven't found the right fit yet. And we were at one church and the pastor was up there and he was trying to talk and he was trying to say something. There was a woman just howling in the background because she was so excited about what he was going to say. And he called her by name and was like, simmer down, like <laughs> simmer down. Let me get it out first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I like that as a preacher. Um, I think preachers don't always, uh, congregations don't always understand this, but when you're sitting in the pew politely, you know, sitting there with a blank look on your face, the preacher is, the preacher's, you know, putting her heart out there for you and not getting anything back. Yeah. So it's good to have at least somebody nodding. (laughs) Yeah. So how did you, because that's, that's a very real thing. And even I am still going through it. I mean, what would you say to somebody who is going through this experience and is angry with God and doesn't understand why me? Ah, oh boy, that's a biggie. (laughs) (laughs) Not to throw you heavy questions, but it's just interesting to me because I'm going through it now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there were a couple of things. I um, talked with a friend of mine in my deepest, darkest. I read this book called Dark Night of the Soul by St. John of the Cross. And I swear at some point, I just threw it across the room. Um, And his point, one of the points he was trying to make was, I mean, he was making a difference between depression and the dark night. Um, in depression, you're just not interested in God. In the dark night, it causes you pain that you don't feel that connection that you think you ought to feel. And he said, just give it up. <laughs> um, and he said, the dark night is when there's so much light from God that you're blinded by it. Mm. Um, so... Like I said, I threw that book across the room. But about that time, I was, um, I talked with my best friend, who was another priest, and I said, I cannot pray, I cannot sleep, I cannot brush my teeth. And he said, well, I'll say your prayers for you. Mm. I can't do anything about your teeth. Um, <laughs> That's funny. You know, he lived 100 miles away. He wasn't going to come brush my teeth. But, um, but he could say my prayers for me. And that's, I think that's how I got through that, is I just rested in the communion of saints. We don't all have to be on top all the time. We have a whole bunch of people who are in this together, the communion of saints. And and we lift each other up and 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 we hold we we cover for each other so i stopped worrying about it 
And just to stop worrying about it helped. I'm going through a lousy time. This is just, I'm just not in it. And that's just how I'm going to be for a while. The other thing that I did, though, was I listened a lot to Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Oh, I love that. I, I actually love them. Yeah, yeah. They're really good. They're like one of the premier choirs in the world. Yes, they are. And um, I mean, in, I, my poor mother, just who could not cope with my being sick anyway, mm-hmm. um, and I would turn up the volume and I would just be screaming these lyrics to, the, to their songs. And, and the way I felt about it was I don't believe in God the way they believe. But these people come from people who went through the Middle Passage. These people have been through Jim Crow. These people have been, are still going through all this, all this awful stuff. And they believe in God. I don't believe in God, but I believe in them. Mm, That's very nice. Yeah. That's a fascinating perspective. It just, you know, you don't, that is, that's kind of the Protestant fallacy that you have to do it all by yourself. You have to have this personal relationship with God. And if you're not on board all the time, if you're not believing, then uh, God's not interested in you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's... Um, that individualism is just not part of, of the original Christianity. I like to call it legalism too. You know, God yeah. is much more realistic. I think he's 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 real, or she. God is real, mm-hmm. and I think you have to be real with yourself. I think you're right. You're you're absolutely right. Hmm. I think that's what I struggle with is the idea that I have to have this personal, wonderful, perfect relationship with God. And like, I'm not, I'm not there right now. Like I'm a little bit angry and I'm a little bit disappointed. And like, I have a lot of doubts and stuff like that. And so because I don't have this wonderful, personal, perfect relationship, like that somehow makes me a bad Christian. I put a dozen. I think, you know, personally in my, in my faith walk, I think that we have to rise above the construct of religion and and think about relationship with your fellow man and or woman is what Will is saying, your relationship to the universe and your relationship to the heavens. And I think whatever draws that strength for you at that time is what's most important. I, I, you know, I, you know whether you're questioning or not. I know it's frustrating from. You know, from a, I think, a ritualistic perspective, but I think from an actual spiritual and faith perspective, it's pretty, I don't want to use the word normal, but I think that's a tip. I think it's a journey. Well, it is is normal, though. I mean, many of the great saints, you know, just didn't go at it that that personal relationship, me and Jesus kind of way. Many of the saints struggled. And, um, I mean, Mother Teresa Mm. um, felt this wonderful closeness to God for about two weeks out of her life. Mm. Mm. And the rest of it, she did, she, you know, she 
followed Jesus. She didn't feel him, but she followed him. <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, that's it. That's I a never knew that. Yeah, I mean, nobody knew that until after she died and, her, and they look, read her journals. Mm. Yeah. And imagine the world holds her such high regard, not that it shouldn't, it's not valid, but even Mother Teresa had struggles. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Like, and that's somehow comforting, you know? Like even the greatest saints had had the struggles that I'm having or that other people are having, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So who do you think you are sh that you should feel <laughs> wonderful all the time? <laughs> yeah. And I, and, it's, it's not, and I think in a sense, it's a little, I don't want to use the word, it's a little unusual if someone has that expectation on you. Mm -hmm. It's unfair too. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, this is a good discussion. It is a good discussion. Thank you, Willa. So um, <laughs> tell us more about your book. Oh, yeah. Okay. And how that came about. So, um, yeah, when I was in Costa Rica, 2005, I wrote um, nine or ten monologues. Um, and I always envisioned them as something, you know, as stand-up comedy. <laughs> and... And they were, they partly talked about my experience with mental illness. I didn't, I thought I had depression at the time. Um, they described what I was seeing in Costa Rica. They told, you know, some family stories and um, gravity kills. So I, you know, I can't write without humor. Um, after I realized I had bipolar, I thought, what? am I going to do with this? Because, I mean, I was glad that I hadn't been able to get it published because it was wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and then um, I thought, well, I could, you know, I could rewrite it uh, with bipolar, but then I thought, I don't know anything about bipolar. So my brain really had to do a lot of healing before I was ever able to reach the point that I could write, that I could read like uh, reviews of literature on the pathophysiology of bipolar, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. but I got there, but I got there. And somehow I, you know, I had this image of, okay, I've got these monologues and I'm standing up there on the stage and there's somebody in the audience who says, she doesn't know what she's talking about. This is what's really going on. <laughs> and do you notice how she's behaving right now? Well, let me tell you why that's happening. So for a while, it was Prozac monologues and heckler. And so I came up with this structure of alternating the monologues with the hecklers part that would talk about bipolar. Because, I mean, the thing that amazed me in retrospect was that I had handed that original manuscript to my therapist and she read it hot off the episode and it did not occur to her that I was hypomanic when I wrote it. And in fact, I went to my um, primary physician right after I got back and I described maniacally writing for a week. 
So she heard that word maniacally. Um, and she said, are you manic? And I said, I'm not manic. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, how is somebody who is manic or hypermanic, hypomanic, supposed to be able to diagnose themselves? Yep. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, I eventually just rewrote the book with those alternating chapters and um, found She Writes Press and got it published. I had wonderful help from a couple of psychiatrists um, who part of what I wrote were, were the, what I would refer to as the science chapters. And, um, and they were really helpful in um, helping me check the science. So, so, so I, do, I do have a question though, but kind of bouncing around. I know, that, but your wife, did she know you were bipolar when you first met or was this a journey you guys entered into together? Yes, yeah, she did not know. Um, we were married in a church ceremony. It wasn't an official sacrament, but it took place in a church and it had yeah, very carefully worded vows that the bishop thought would not get me into trouble. <laughs> anyway, that was in 1996. And then in 2004, I dive into this depressive episode. And then this thing, and then this thing happened in Costa Rica. And, you know, if anybody had asked her, um, this, this journey might have been a lot a lot shorter because she was really dis you know, what I was excited about, she was really disturbed about. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, you know, that's one thing I really get out of listening to your podcast is to hear it from both perspectives because she had a very different view of what was going on and she was really worried, but nobody asked her. Yeah. That's, that's the one big thing with Stephen and I is that, I mean, We've said it before. He'll notice my moods before I'll notice them. Because like you said, how is somebody who's hypermanic supposed to actually say they're hypomanic? Like you're excited. You feel good. Finally, you know, you're up out of the depression and this is just a really good day. And it's hard. It's, it's hard to know. Yeah. Yeah. So then, um, 2009, Iowa was one of the states, um, the Supreme Court ruled that equal protection of the law applied to gay and lesbian people as regards to the marriage laws. So we were about the, maybe the fifth state where we could get married legally. And, you know, I'm, I'm filing for disability and, um, and we're getting married again. And I'm just kind of gobsmacked. I mean, when you say for better, for worse, you don't know what those words mean until worst happens. And she was going through worst and she said those words again. Wow. Wow. She sounds great. I wish she were on the show with you. I'd love to interview her. <laughs> oh yeah. I wish she were too. She's, she's in California right now. Um, but yeah. 
um, maybe I'll come back and have her on there too. So oh, I would love, you know, it we was, love talking to the support system, yeah. you know, the spouse or, or the parents or whoever it is that's the caregiver. Because like no. you said, their perspective of things is completely different than ours. Yeah. But you know, what was, what just confused her both, she went to the NAMI family to family group and she also, I had like this three-day psych evaluation that the church wanted me to do for disability. And she was part of that. And so she was interviewed by the social worker. And both the social worker and people in the family-to-family -family group asked her the same question and asked the husband of another man the same question, why do you stay I mean, you don't have to. And, you know, both, you know, both she and this other husband were like, what about for better, for worse, do you people not understand? Mm -hmm. um, this was a commitment that she made. And God bless, I mean, I... I can be brought to tears thinking about it. But well, yeah, just because it wasn't put down in legalese doesn't mean that she didn't mean for better or for worse. Yeah, well, we celebrate, we keep our our church wedding anniversary as our real anniversary and not our legal. Yeah. Well, you know, we've been, Rebecca and I have been married for 18 years and pretty much the entire time we've been managing bipolar together. And as hard as it gets, that's why I said at the top of the show, I said that, you know, as a caregiver, you know, in a relationship, you forget that you are partners, you are lovers because you're caregiving when things get bad. But with that said, I would never think about leaving my family. Yeah. That's and that's what Rebecca is. She's my family. Like I'm just not going to leave her on the side of the road just because things got hard. Look, you crazy. Go sit down over there in the corner while we figure this out. Right, <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> but it's easy to do, right? Like it's easy. Yeah. Like I mean, you can easily walk away from it. Yeah, that's the easiest well, thing know, to do. She, she acknowledged that she thought about it sometimes, but but those times were um, had to do with um, our son, her stepson. Uh, you know, when he was a teenager, sometimes there were times because we we got married, you know, when he was about um, he was almost 12. So she missed those cute years. Yeah. <laughs> where right. you build a relationship <laughs> and she entered in, you know, when things were going to start dif getting difficult. And that was what she, you know, she said she was tempted, um, but she. Um, but she was never going to leave. Right. No, I mean, you know, it's, it's definitely hard. There's probably been times where, I mean, I'm sure it's absolutely been times where I was just like, I can't do this anymore. But also it's weird because my stress response, it's flight. Mm -hmm. So even when I say I'm out of here, I'm not really out. I'm just going to walk and drive around the corner. Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, and that's not a good thing either. I mean, I don't know. It's, it, none of us are perfect, but. 
at the well, end of the day, you'll never leave your family. It's not a great thing when your partner has abandonment issues. I know that's true. Too. And then you're like, look, I'm out. And I'm <laughs> like, he's gone forever. Yeah, I know. No, yeah. it's not fair to her. You, know, you can do some communication stuff around that. Look, I am out for the next 15 minutes. I'll be back, but I am out. You, you know, you can set the timer, but. <laughs> right. Actually, I like that strategy, actually. But, yeah, you know, it always sounds good. I was just telling Rebecca, like, all of the strategies that you pick up sound good when you, there's not crisis. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to use the strategies in crisis. You forget. You forget because you're reacting so quickly. Oh, you know, all those things my therapist and I go over. They're just, <laughs> you know, when I, and then I'm in crisis and it's like, what am I supposed to do now? Yeah. Like, like my therapist and I, like we made plans and we have lists and like things I'm supposed to do. And then something happens and it all just goes out the window. <laughs> like, I don't remember any of it. And then of course you come back to it. And in hindsight, you're like, yeah, I probably should have done that differently. <laughs> Very true. Always. You know, and I, I, I even said it today on my Facebook page. One thing that 18 years of marriage have taught me or has taught me is I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, constant. You know, I mean, you know what? If you have so much pride that when you injure someone emotionally or anything, whether it's unintended or unintended, if you cannot say I'm sorry, then what's the point? You're robbing yourself of joy and victory in your yeah. life. You know? Yeah. Uh, those words are so underrated. Yep. There's so many things that <laughs> could be solved if somebody just said those words. Yeah. Amen, Pastor Willa. Yeah, very much so. So how how is your book done? Like, you know, you've published it and it's out mm -hmm. and it's about like, has uh, it been a good response to it? It has been a good response. Now, having said that, I do have a bunch of boxes of books sitting in my living room with, you know, with a serape over it. It's like a, um, what's that called? Well, a side table. Yes. Uh, uh, so I haven't sold quite as many as I want, but I have sold books. And, um, and you know, the most gratifying thing in the world, there, gosh, there was somebody, he sent me a message on my website and he said, actually, I was passing through Sisters, Oregon and my girlfriend and I walked into this bookstore and we found your book and started looking at it. And my girlfriend said, I think this is your brother. And they read the book and it's like, you know, the brother was going through what you, Rebecca, and I have gone through, you know, all the multiple meds and the suicidal and nothing is working. And um, this reader said, this sounds like my brother. And off he went to Chicago to visit his brother, got him to a new psychiatrist, got a, got a diagnosis and back on the right track. That's amazing. It's like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. uh, you know. That's that like that is just so fulfilling. I mean, we get messages pretty often about our podcast and how it's helped mm -hmm. somebody and they don't mm -hmm. feel lonely anymore and or they found themselves in somebody's shared story and it's just 
that's like the whole point, you know, is just so people don't, because when you get that diagnosis or you're going through that diagnosis, it feels so lonely. Yeah. Mm. These doctors are telling you things and it's scary and it's confusing and it's lonely and it's just, you know, if I can help one person not feel that, like, you know, like him with his brother, then I've done something. You know, and not to belabor the point, I remember when Rebecca was first finding out when we were first discovering um, her mental illness, I remember her thinking, you know, she was saying to me that like, she was like, you know, I want to go to school. How am I going to raise these kids? She thought she was going to ruin Sebastian, our oldest. Um, you know, it, I mean, everything was just so uncertain. And I was scared myself, too, mm -hmm. because, you know, when Rebecca had episodes, it wasn't the same woman that I married. You know, it was mm -hmm. it was almost like the Incredible Hulk, you know. You know, the person just turns into something else. And, I, you know, it's, it is. It, it is, And it's great to have the support system in the network because not to sound trite, it does take a village. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons why I wrote the book and one of the reasons why I do podcasts and, and, um, and I'm real open about it in, especially in the church. Um, but but I want to hang out with people who have just been newly diagnosed. It to tell them it takes a long time. You know that that script that the doctor just wrote you is not going to be the magic pill that turns your life around. Um, it's going to take it's going to take time. It took me at least five years for me to get my brain back, um, more or less. I mean, more or less back, um, but. You know, and and I lost, I lost the ability to do the job that I, that I really thought I'd been born to do. I can't do it anymore, uh, which was heartbreaking. But something else happened, and, um, and you can learn to manage this. <clears throat> There'll be there. There will be blips, but you can learn to manage this. You can build a life worth living. Yes, absolutely. Your life is not over at diagnosis. Well, I mean, you have bipolar. You're not bipolar. We've said it plenty of times, and you're absolutely right. And um, it's great to reinforce and bring that sort of um, that point home. Tell, tell us about the impact of your uh of your blog, of your book, like, you know, what are people saying? Hmm. What are people saying? Well, I, you know, um, first of all, I was just over the moon when Ellen Frank wrote this blurb, this endorsement. She's, she's like the queen of social rhythms therapy. Um, and I had, I had the right name to drop um to catch her attention but um she said a bit like a great evening at a first-rate comedy club which is what i intended uh except that it's deadly serious which is also what i intended um and so yeah i got i got the psychiatric community behind the book um that I got the science right. And that was, for me, something that was really important. I didn't, I, you know, there are other, there are other memoirs out there about what it's like to have a mental illness. 
Um, but I'm kind of a brain nerd and I wanted to put, um, I wanted to put it in language. I wanted to put the science in language that normal people could understand hmm. and pulled that off. Um, you know, somebody said it's, you know, it's got enough big words to make me feel smart, but, um, but not so many that I can't follow it. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's a very good point. That's very true when you read the book. Um, so where can, where can listeners find your book? Ah, well, wherever books are. Um, I, my preference is that they go to their independent bookstore um, because hooray for small businesses. Yes. Amen. And, and um, they can order it. It's, it's available through Ingram, through just normal distribution channels. Uh, you can get it from the big guy as well. Um, the the audio, oh, and, and also by going to willagoodfellow.com. If you want an autographed copy, costs a little more because I have to cover the, the postage. Um, but I can autograph it. I can, um, you know, sign it however you want to. At, um, if you go to willagoodfellow.com and drop me a line. Um, audio books as well, that's got um, distribution wherever you get your audio books, which is what you heard, which is yep. what I said to you, Rebecca. Yep. So, yeah, I was really, I mean, Sweet. I was really tickled. A friend of mine who had read it several times, she said, um, then listened to the audiobook and she said that that was even better because um, my voice made it all the more real. That's incredible. Yeah, I really liked the audio version. I really liked it. Thanks. Thanks. That's I was really good. proud of it. Well, thank you so much for doing the work that you do. Um, and we will certainly drop the link to your website so people can connect with you and also purchase and know where to purchase the book. Um, it's super exciting. I know that Rebecca has been excited about you for a long time uh, in terms of like when she first met, um, when we both first met you <laughs> online, um, but definitely her. Uh, she's been very excited about this. And especially it's good to see someone who has also questioned faith on their journey as well and be real about it. And that's incredible. Yeah. Thank so you. we do a thing called quote of the week oh, and I can oh, oh hold on. We well, can... hang on. I I can very well just pull out a quote that I have saved, but seeing as how you are a pastor, I didn't know if you wanted to share like one of your favorite scriptures or one that got you through it or anything like that. Oh gosh. You know, right off the top of my head. Um nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's um, very good. Uh, you know what? I don't even know if there's anything else we need to say. About I mean, that. yeah, there's nothing really we, to say. It we normally itself. talk about that, but it's so true. I would say my reaction. You're right. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Love, yeah, no matter what anybody tells it you. It is unconditional. Yeah. It, it. You know, they always compare it. And of course, it is compared to a father's love. And I mean, nothing would separate you from our children. I mean, nothing. Father or mother's love. I mean, nothing. It's it's a you know a parent's love. 
um, is real, and that is God's love for us. And you know, I certainly feel that way um, every day as we walk through this earth. Um, yeah, that was a good one, Will. That's a good one off yeah. the top of your head. Wow, that's good. Really- you know, I'm not good at the off the top. Yeah. That's, That's a good one. About. Yeah, you definitely did that. And I think we also, go ahead, baby, you want to wrap up? So we also have from when you first uh, contacted us, we have your song of the week, yeah. which is Itsy Bitsy Spider. Um, and it's by, I'm sorry, what was the name of the artist? Um, 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 Desmond Dennis. Desmond, Desmond Dennis. Dennis. Yes. Yeah, so we will go ahead and play your song and thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed your book. Um, let me, can I make just a comment about that song? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. It just, um, I, I don't know where I found it, but it just, I had never listened to this kind of version of itsy bitsy spider, but suddenly I was identifying with the spider and, um, you know, that process of you try, you try, you try, you're climbing, you're climbing, you're climbing, you get washed down, you have to start all over again. Um, and spider just wants to go out and play. Yeah. Uh, That's very good. You know, oddly That's enough, so that was one of my favorite ch- songs as a child. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. I used to like to do the little hand the little thing. hand thing. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I love I love doing the little hand thing. I was just doing that today, thinking about this. But you know, but I'd never looked at it from the spider's perspective. I just That's... thought, you know, that silly little spider, and I've become that silly little spider. <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. And we will go ahead and play Itsy Bitsy Spider. Oh, thanks. Have a great week, Willa, good fellow. Thank you for being such a wonderful soul.
up this brown eye. 